Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I hope you're doing well today. If this is the morning, afternoon, night, wherever you are, hope you're doing well. So uh, thanks so much for being here and tuning in. I'm excited today to talk to a new friend that I've been learning from recently. We actually are going to have some really neat things we're going to be doing actually in partnership here in the future. And so I'm excited about that. But I am talking to the man, the myth, the legend, the man with King Energy himself, Scott Tungay. Scott, how you doing, man? Jared, thanks, man. I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So why don't you go ahead and uh, tell, after we pray, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are, why you have the accent that you have, and let us know where you're living and uh, just everything about yourself. But let's go ahead and start with prayer. Uh, Father, we just thank you so much for the blood of Christ that unites Scott and I as brothers. I thank you for all that you're doing in and through his life. I thank you for the men that are being uh, just challenged and encouraged to be all that you've called them to be and to step out in faith and uh, without fear into what's next, into building, building uh, for your kingdom, for your glory, and using their gifts and the talents that you've given them. God, I just thank you for all that he's doing. Thank you for this time that we have. Holy Spirit, lead this discussion. I trust that you will. Uh, point us to Jesus. So what do we always want? Point us to Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Amen. Praise God, man. So yeah, man, I'm uh, obviously I'm from South Africa originally. I'm fourth generation uh, British over there. And uh, I grew up in a very uh, liberal frame. My parents were uh, agnostic um and so you know the only kind of christian uh input i had in my life growing up was our little sunday school at our our uh elementary school um but my brother uh, ended up getting saved uh, at college and he started discipling me and so i church movement in south africa and it, it was a it was a fascinating um kind of paradox you know south africa is kind of a patriarchal uh militaristic society um, yet at the same time, incredibly liberal, uh, incredibly, mm. you know, uh, just in the frame of, uh, believing a lot of the kind of liberal politics, liberal, uh, uh, cultural worldviews, um, that are, you know, kind of, of representative of, of the European stock that, that we had, you know, so, so you would go to a church where, um, there was a, you know, a very strong, and I'm very, very glad for it, a very strong emphasis on the husband as covering or the father as the covering. Uh, yet at the same time, there, there'd be no problem with ladies preaching or, you know, kind of girls uh, doing anything uh, in, in the world outside the church, you know, so there was kind of a soft egalitarian, complementarian type um, push there that no one really batted an eyelid, you know, it wasn't a, a problem. Uh, well, at least I didn't know about, you know, what we we're now going into as far as patriarchy and dominion or post mill, whatever you want to call it. But I, I didn't know any of that. So I grew up as a teenager, a uh, pretty liberal frame. Um, and in that liberal frame, you're taught, you know, serve, serve woman, serve, be a nice guy, be, be a Christian, nice guy. That's how you uh, create value. That's how you become a man of honor is to be the nicest guy, the kindest guy um, in the group. And so, you know, that was my heart. I just wanted to please the Lord at all costs, man. I was just so, uh, my heart after God. And so you, you become very obedient to the institution. You become very obedient to the culture because, you know, you're looking for discipleship. You're looking for guidance. 
Um, and so it wasn't until, you know, I, uh, I wanted to, I wanted to, uh, you know, the first girl I dated, I wanted to marry. That was my whole heart, you know? And so I didn't date anyone right until my senior year of, of high school when, you know, started getting interested in girls and well, I was interested in girls way before that, but now started actually right. venturing in, you know? And so you, you get caught in this shame cycle of, you know, we're so, we're so sexually wired. We're so honor driven, uh, you know, status driven, if you want to call it that. But there's no discipleship on it other than hunker down, close all the hatches, don't do anything. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was caught in this crazy shame loop. I was caught in a, in a huge identity crisis of um, who, who I am inside, the thoughts I'm having, the desires I'm having, the, the passions I have are not being openly spoken about or at least realistically spoken about by the men in my life or the leaders in my life. And so you kind of like, am I broken? Am I the only guy who is dealing with all of this, uh, you know, in relation to, to race, in relation to sex, in relation to money? Uh, you know, because obviously in South Africa, it's, it's hugely multicultural. There's 20 right. different tribal groups. And this whole thing of diversity is our strength. Uh, you know, democracy is, is God's most enlightened way, uh, you know, worship the nation state. As, as a church, you know, the church kind of idolizes the nation state and, and diversity and unity and all this stuff, but none of it ever played out in reality. And so my kind of real searching, um, in my early twenties of like, God, what is the truth? You know, cause I'm not seeing what, what the world is telling me about race, sex, and money. I'm not, I'm not seeing it's the truth. It's, it's all a bunch of like, you know, feel good mantras, but you can never, I can never like do the things. Mm -hmm. um, right. or, or reality doesn't do the things, you know? And so uh, fast forward uh, quite a while, I, I met my, my wife, she's uh, an American girl. She was uh, doing mission work in South Africa. And uh, when we were married, obviously uh, moved over to, to the States. So I've been in the States for five years, been married nearly five years now. Um, and being married was like a huge, I don't know, just like a, a launching pad into uh, God's ways. You know, I think for, for the first time for a lot of guys, when you get married, it's like, wow, now is, you, you understand a lot about the, the world that you never, ever could even, you can't even fathom marriage before you've been married. Right. Yeah. Um, and so my wife and I have been on this kind of journey of like figuring out again, what are God's ways for masculinity and femininity? What are God's ways, uh, you know, for, for all of life? Um, and so that's kind of been, you know, where I've really been hitting hard on the last three years, but that's gotcha. kind of a philosophical where that's I'm great. from. And that's great. Doing. And now you've got marriage life and, and really you've arrived at the point where you've got it all figured out. Like me, is that correct? Man, I'm the Buddha. In a... <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you know, I think it's the most exciting thing, you know, it's just all I know is what I don't know, but I know that wasn't it. <laughs> yeah, that's good, man. That's so good. So now you've been in America for, for five years and it seems like just from what I've been hearing from you. And by the way, I mean, I've been hearing from my buddy, Riley, mutual friend, Riley and, and Bo and Eric. And I keep hearing like, man, you got to talk to this guy, Scott, Scott Tungay. I've been hearing your name a lot. And, uh, and so I've been listening in and it seems like you're a guy that, that has come to America and discovered that we're not the most racist nation in America or in the world. We're not, uh, you know, as, as evil as everybody in evangelicalism makes us sound out to be. And certainly we've got our deeply embedded uh, sins that every 
nation deals with. That's certainly the case. But it sounds like you speak of the United States with a little bit of fondness, like you actually kind of like being here. So tell us about that for a little bit, because one of the things I want to do, especially on the eve of uh, on the just Memorial Day just being yesterday, is being thankful for the country that God has placed us in. And it sounds like you like being here a little bit. Bro, I love this place, man. You know, I, I often say that to people, you know, if you if you just come to Africa for two weeks, you will kiss the ground when you arrive back. Um, you know, people take for granted, you know, it's that whole thing of, of absence makes the heart grow fonder. You know, if, if you've never experienced America, you come here and you're like, oh my gosh, this is, this is Disneyland. This mm-hmm. is, you know, yeah. the American wow. dream as, as a meme is very real. You know, the, the majority of the world, the, the natural state of man is poverty and violence. Mm-hmm. And so to live your whole life in poverty and violence, or at least around poverty and violence, and to come to America where the norm is peace and prosperity. Um, and obviously, you know, this is, this is a huge generalization. There's, there's, you know, like you say, there's sin and, and violence and poverty everywhere. But, right. but societally, you can come here and you just understand for the first time what it is to live in a homogenous culture mm-hmm. where there's c- cultural norms that everybody understands. The language is all the same. Uh, the, the, the customs and expectations are enforced. And it's like, oh my gosh, there's peace. Like for the first time in my life, you can let go of the, uh, to take advantage of each other. There's constantly walls up, constantly, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, insecurity between groups. And so, you know, for me, it's a funny thing to hear when people are like, oh, racism and all this stuff. You know, there's so much shame amongst American white people uh, when in reality, it's nothing new to them. In-group preference is not mm-hmm. only white people have in-group preference. It's like, nobody go anywhere in the world and you will encounter even stronger in-group preference. Yeah. Uh, and they, you know, it's, it's not a sin to have in-group preference. It's not a sin to love your wife above other women. It's not a sin to love your children above other children. It's just, are you respectful of everybody else? You know, that's what, for me, I, I think there's such a thing in America where they've taken our love for our, our, you know, I'm, I'm using the hour because obviously I'm, I'm married to my wife and, and I, I honor her uh, family and her place where she grew up and, and I want to be a good guest, you know, so I honor my host. But if I were to come in and start like criticizing and uh, being angry and resentful, they'd be right to kick me out. Like, mm. who's this little jerk? Like, get out of here. Right. But the moment someone else who's not my skin color does this and they're like, wait a minute, buddy, we don't like, like you come here, you be thankful. You come mm. here, you work hard. You come here, you do the American dream. No one has a problem with people, but it's like, you'd be crazy to go to Japan, you know, and be like, oh, Jap- the Japanese people are so racist. Yeah. They are the, the terriblest. They're the worst. And it's like, Guys, you know, America is a wonderful place. And Man, it's, it's just grievance peddlers who are trying to stir up uh, resentment and, and make an industry out of it. Yeah. And sadly, that's happening for sure. Uh, you know, the American dream has a really about a decade long or maybe 20 year long run of getting just kicked in the dirt and annihilated by big evangelicalism. And I'd been a part of that, of, of just mocking the American dream. But then when you step back and consider the amazing reality that, you know, you generally work hard in America and certainly there are the exceptions, you know, we're again, jumping on your generalizations here. There are exceptions of those who work hard and, and life is just as difficult. And that's a lot that God has given them. And it's, it's kind of an unexplainable thing, but to have a home and, and a couple vehicles and a couple kids and a job with a pension or retirement, 
those are wonderful gifts from the Lord. And I don't think we should be ashamed at all to say, God, thank you for them. In fact, that's one of the things I've appreciated about you is that, uh, that you've got a grasp on the blessing seems like the blessings that God gives and the reason in which he gives them, which isn't first and foremost for our, for our own uh, building of our bigger barns, but it is building bigger barns for, for yourself is one thing, but building bigger barns for the goodness of the, the kingdom moving forward and those around you, it's a very good and honorable thing. And, uh, yeah. And so let's talk about a few things I've, I've heard you, and I just really want to throw some things out there to you, but uh, that, that I've really found interesting, and I just kind of want to pick your brain a little bit. But um, you you throw this word around, and I'm thinking, me and my wife are sitting in the car listening. We're driving down about an hour and a half, about an hour and a half drive. And actually, I think this is on our drive to Branson last month or last uh, last week. So we had about a five hour drive. And we're hearing this guy talk about King Energy, and I'm loving every second of it. And I'm wondering, what the heck is King Energy? And where'd he come up with this? And what do you mean Jesus is the King of Kings? And we're the kings underneath the kingship of Christ. And and we're both like, man, what is this? But this is really, really good. And I want the pastors listening in, I want them to hear about this. Because here's what I hear, Scott, all the time. And I talked about it on my show this week. Go to a pastor's conference. The worship leader stands up, or the first pastor that jumps up there, gets on stage and he says, I know every one of you is exhausted and you came here and your uh, knuckles are dragging and you're feeling like quitting this week. And it's Monday morning. And after Monday morning, you just are thinking about crawling into a hole. And I remember sitting at this conference just a few years ago and, and hearing this guy get up there gallivanting around on stage and talking about that. And I remember looking at my wife and thinking, honey, I don't feel like that at all. I'm incredibly happy. My life is awesome. Our church life, we have nobody that gossips at our church. Nobody's angry at me. Things are really great. And uh, when I hear you talking about King Energy, it's like, man, that's what God has gifted me. I, there's just this yeah. energy of waking up in the morning, excited to be alive. Man, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice yeah. and be glad in it every day. Tell us about King Energy and why do pastors need to get it? Yeah, man. You know, the first thing is to contrast it is with victim energy, slave energy. You know, that's the opposite of this. And our world loves victimhood. Our, our world loves slavery. They love to, you know, oh, you know, just praying for Jesus to come back, brother. Just praying for the rapture. You know, and when you look at it like that, it's like, man, like, is God a, a distant helicopter father that he's just dropped us off here powerless uh, as little victims to just cry out to him? And then one day, maybe he'll come back and save us. And it's like, no, 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 Jesus, you know, the, the, the disciples are like, Jesus, don't go. <laughs> and he's like, guys, it's better. It's better that I go. And I'm going to send you one who is a comforter. Why a comforter? Because you're going to be out doing things that are uncomfortable. And so he's basically saying to, to us, he's giving us the great commission uh, to go out and disciple, to go uh, steward creation, to go, uh, go and be the king that he is king of in your domain, in your, in your area. And it's going to be uncomfortable. And so we see with David, you know, David's, a, I love, I've, I've been sitting on Abraham. I've been sitting on David. I love the Old Testament patriarchs because it's like they had something that we have lost as modern day liberal, liberalized Christians. And it's king energy. It's this energy of I'm God's guy. I've got a, a mandate on my life. I'm going to go give my gift. And so you see with David, you know, a lot of guys, they preach this gospel of, you know, like you, like you said, guys, I know we're all broken. I know we're all tired. I know we're all, you know, cry, sob story, soft synth keys playing in the background. Right. <laughs> I was like, like maybe when you get saved. Yeah. Like, you know, sure. Like 
it's okay to be a victim. And then like, wow, I'm a victim. I realize I need Jesus Christ. That's all of us, right? We all at the, at the start realize we cannot save ourselves. Mm -hmm. Jesus had to save from that moment on. You are now no longer a wretch. You're no longer a sinner. You're no longer an orphan. You're now a son. You're, you're now a king and you have a mandate. And so, and you have a comforter, you know? And so we see with David, he's, he's out in the desert being chased around by Saul. He's, he's in a terrible place. You know, he's been told that he's going to be king. And that's all of us guys. We're like, oh man, you've got so much potential. And, you know, we've been prophesied over and guys send us scriptures and like, man, you're going to be a great man for the Lord. And like, you know, two, three years on, you're struggling and you're in the desert or you're in the prison like Joseph. And you're like, God, what is going on? I, you know, I thought you'd called me to ministry or called me to whatever your, your domain is. And so that's David out in the desert for 10, 14 years, however long it was. And he even gets, so not only is he in the desert, he, he gets his camp raided while he's away. So it's like failure times 10,000 failure, you know, and all those guys want to abandon him and, and, and even kill him. And what does it say? It says he encouraged himself in the Lord. Mm, it's good. And I was just like, what? And it's like, that's King energy. You know, mm. you can be in a desert. You can have nothing to show for your big dreams, your big faith, your, the word that the Lord has given you to pursue. But it's like, I know that I'm God's guy. I know that this thing he's put on my heart is what I'm going to do. And so I might be in a desert, but I know God is going to lead me through. And so even when, when crazy stuff happens, you know, it's like, Lord, I, I strengthen myself in you. I encourage myself in you because I, you know, that's what made David a man after God's heart was mm -hmm. this king energy. I'm not going to fall to victimhood. You know, so many guys, they'll go on Twitter or they'll go on Facebook and be like, oh, guys, just having a hard time. And, you know, or, or you meet up with them and, at, you know, maybe a conference, like you say, or whatever. And it's like, oh, brother, I'm just going to tell you my miseries. And it's like, dude, get away from me. Like, this is slave energy. <laughs> right. You know, this is orphan yeah. energy. We're kings. And yeah. so, yes, life is hard. Yes, you could be in a prison. But that is not our, our identity. Yeah. Our identity is we are the kings that Jesus is king of. Man, that's so good. I was telling our church last week and I've been, I inverted, we've been preaching through Nehemiah, finished Nehemiah. Now we're walking into Galatians, super excited about getting into Galatians. In fact, that's the book. Galatians is the book that God really got a hold of my heart in 2003. My world was turned upside down and it was the grace of God that did it. It was just an amazing, amazing couple summers for me. But one of the things I told our, our church is that uh, the Christian life is intended to be a life of joy with seasons of lament, not a life of lament with seasons of joy. Now, certainly there's going to be, there's going to be, there's going to be seasons of that, but, but especially in the reform world and even in, in the world that, that cherishes the holiness of God and the goodness of God and the power of God and the might of God, the attributes of God, it's a tip. It's a, it's a very common thing to have a somber posture towards life running around like Eeyore all the time. And again, same thing that you said, yes, life can be extremely difficult. And you can have dispositions that you've inherited from your father and he inherited from his father that certainly can be uh, battles, you know, generational battles, but fight for and expect the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And uh, it's a good thing. Okay. So and that's a key there, Jared, just to, just to finish on that. I think you've hit on a key of why you can have King energy. We have to have an understanding of God as a good father who blesses us, mm, you know, and, and you look at, at Deuteronomy 28 and a lot of guys are like, Oh brother, that's old Testament. That's, that was for the Jews. And it's like, dude, Jesus says to the Pharisees, he's like, if you were the sons of Abraham, you would do the works of Abraham. And so it's like, okay, who was Abraham? He was incredibly blessed by the Lord, you know, 
and he was a he was a jerk he you know we wouldn't let him in most of our small groups because it's like oh, i don't know this guy's gonna lie about his wife and he's gonna do some you know crazy stuff and it's like i don't know if we want him here but it's like that guy was blessed by the lord for mm-hmm. believing for yeah. for being like okay lord you're a good god you are my shield i'm not going to i'm not going to fall into victimhood it's the lord who makes abraham rich it's the lord who who defeats abraham's enemies who who brings abraham a son who you know you have to have this humility and fear of the lord and that's what allows you to be like okay of course i can be a king because i'm not the king of some austere religious scholar who's going to punish me for every little misdeed you know mm-hmm. that's good uh, especially you look at jesus you know we're under the new covenant the greater covenant the better covenant of you know god is 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 so just such a good father and so interested in our lives and interested in us uh imaging him mm. how much more you know than than abraham than david yeah. you know Amen. again david wouldn't be touched with a 10 foot pole you know mm-hmm. all of his crazy behavior and yet yeah. god chose to bless him in a worse covenant in an older covenant that's good, man. That's really good. Let me set up a caricature for you that I think a lot of the pastors can resonate with and that you may or may not be able to resonate, res- resonate with. But I listened to Piper in the mid 2000s. I heard the prosperity gospel video and, you know, was anti-prosperity gospel to the T, read Desiring God. Um, again, this is the caricature picture here. I went to Dairy Queen and felt guilty because I bought a Dairy Queen Blizzard with Eminem and cookie dough. You heathen. I know. I didn't have to, and I could have spent that money in other places. And then coming out of that and recognizing, okay, there's, I think I have maybe twisted some things that they did not intend. He did not intend in writing this. Maybe, maybe he did. But then the recent resurgence of, of post-millennialism and, and a rediscovery of puritanical theonomy and a a, a really an understanding of, of biblical complementarianism actually being biblical patriarchy and not complementarianism yeah. at all. It's given men in general, and I'm seeing this all across the board, a, it's like our eyes are opening. We're going from grayscale everything to color and recognizing, wait a minute, there is ground to take, and I've got a mission in front of me that God has given me, and I need to start taking some ground. And then we have men in our church that are good men that most likely are not going to be pastors, but are doing a really good job in their area of life. And I'm completely ripping this from one of the recent shows I listened uh, uh, to uh, about uh, you talking about this, because I want to dig into this a little bit deeper. How do you get that? I've always been a man of joy where I just wake up excited, but I've got this theological framework now of going out and wanting to train men how to build households and, and to take over a region, take over an area. What if we really invest in this region and area and take bearing fruit and multiplying and taking dominion serious? Carbondale, Illinois is going to be looking a lot different in 30 years, and Illinois in general is going to look a lot different in 30 years than it does right now. Talk to the pastors about getting a vision, take all that I just said, and yeah. giving it to men in the church and saying, okay, you're an investment banker, or you're, you're an investor, or you uh, mow yards for a living, or you're a painter, or you would explain to them why they should encourage those guys to go and crush it and not even pursue pastoral ministry. Uh, the first thing I want to hit on there is, is we fear... Uh, power we fear uh wealth we fear sex we fear you know we have 
as as guys who have been brought up in the pastoral frame, our biggest fear is being cancelled by purity spiral. You know, so if if I'm seen talking to a David, talking to a Donald, talking to an Abraham, like if like, hey man, are you condoning their life? Are you uh, dabbling in what they're? And it's like. No, no, I was just having coffee with the guy. I was just, please, like, don't throw me under the bus, you know? And so we have this insane purity spiraling culture uh, in the church where uh, you cannot even have a pretense of worldliness about you if you're going to enter pastoral ministry. And so what ends up happening is you, you start setting up in the church with those same standards of pastoral cleanliness. When, you know, if, and, and I love just looking at, at, at biblical archetypes and shadows and things, but, but let's take the 12 tribes, right? The Levites were just one 12th of, of the, the nation. So about 8% of your guys, 8% of, of the nation are going to be pastoral guys are going to be priestly type guys, mm, you know, that's good. and that's, that's a great thing. You know, like it, it's, it's a wonderful domain. Go crush at it. Be unapologetically uh, a man after God's heart in this domain. But when you start looking at the other 92% of guys to start putting on them, the, the, the expectations of becoming a priest of becoming, and I just use that priest as an archetype, becoming pastoral, becoming a missionary, becoming a worship leader, becoming, you know, some form of full-time ministry gig in the, in the ministry domain. You take away a man who, who's actually, you know, cause we, we, we grow up just wanting to please the Lord, like, God, I'll do anything for you. And somewhere this deception came along that the only way to please the Lord is to be a missionary or a pastor or an evangelist or a worship leader. Like those are your, those are your only ways to please the Lord. What if God actually was pleased with you, with your skill, the passion, the, the, the talent that he put on your heart to go and do. And that could be, you know, a lot of guys in the economy domain, a lot of guys in the government domain, a lot of guys in the media domain, you know, what is it that, Guys, I'm not really talented at post at being a pastor, missionary. You know this whole ministry domain. I'm not talented. I'm not naturally passionate. I'm not naturally have an affinity that like, yes, this is what I would do if nobody paid me, and and no one was watching. This is what I would go do. You know that's that's not that's probably ninety percent of dudes are like no like I'm actually I actually feel like a second class citizen trying to do pastoral work. I feel like I it's very stressful to me or it's very you know it's like guys it's probably not your domain. Your domain is to go crush, you know, in media, whether that's, that's media. I define media as anything to do with an audience, mm-hmm. you know, it's okay. teaching, it's celebrity culture, it's sports, it's entertainment, it's uh, talking heads, news, uh, anything to do with shaping ideas in a, in an audience way uh, is, is the, the media domain, you know, economy, anything that's productive skill, um, hard work related is the economy, uh, you know, uh, domain. And then government is anything to do with authority systems, you know, so that could be bureaucracy, politics, police, army, uh, council, all of these different things that, that are authority systems. And there's guys who navigate politics in their sleep. You know, they, yeah. they can be very true or hours sleep. And they're like, Oh yeah, I know how to, I know how to get this, 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 and this done through these, these, these people. And I've got this guy and it's like in their sleep, you know, and it's like, Oh, that's like, going to a city council is like, Oh, that's kind of boring to me. Or that's kind of like bang my head on a keyboard. You know, and then other guys are like, dude, I can grind for 80 hours a week. I can just go work 80 hours a week and just grind. And like the dude, just like opportunities come to them. Money comes to them. Like 
uh, uh, oh yeah, I just bought this little business and now it's doing 10 times more. And oh, I just sold this and just found this guy and bought this and this was on a deal. And it's like, how? And it's like, it's a talent. It's a, it's a gift from the Lord. It's, this is your domain, you know? And likewise with media, you've got guys who just, they can connect with people. They can, they can bring ideas across. They can uh, teach and, and all that. And then same with ministry. You've got guys who can just connect with guys' hearts, who can sanctify who can bring guys into, into the love of the Lord where like 10 other dudes have been trying for 10 years. And this guy just has one cup, cup, you know, random chat with a guy in a coffee shop. And it's like, he's crying and giving his life to the Lord. And it's like, that's a gift brother. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So there's, there's these gifts differing these, these, these differences of gifting, but we try and smash everybody into the ministry domain in order to love the Lord more. You know, when, when I feel like pastors have this amazing opportunity to sanctify their men into their domains, to bless mm -hmm. their men into That's their good. domains, you know, and there's that famous quote from someone, uh, I don't know who wrote it, but he said, you know, you, you don't show that you're a, a Christian shoemaker by stitching crosses into shoes. You show you're a Christian shoemaker by making exceptional shoes. Yeah. And, and it's just this whole thing of working as unto the Lord. You know, what is my gift, Lord? I want to give this as unto you. You put this passion this talent on my heart so i'm going to unbury it and i'm going to go and give my gift as unto the lord yeah so good it's so good i think a big key to this is not being afraid of what you call clown world <laughs> i've been loving that and using that i mentioned something about it on gab this morning but i'm just going to rip that from you and i'm going to start talking about clown world regularly i it's ripped gonna... it from someone else make it make it flow brother oh man that's gonna i'm gonna make it flow it's gonna be on sunday sermons it's gonna be all over the place but it's such a perfect world, analogy, isn't it? It is. And for some reason, there is this massive obsession in pastoral ministry. And I see it. Most lay people are recognizing it, I think, over the last two years for what it is. And I think most lay people over the last two years have not been as duped as pastors have by clown world. And I think there's a lot of just normal average Joe Christians who are thinking, why is my pastor saying what he's saying and doing what he is doing? this is crazy. And if this is where we're going, I'm out. I'm out. And for some reason, pastors have one eye on clown world, wanting to preserve some sort of cultural something. I don't know. And we have all these opportunities for guys in our church to go out into the clown world and bring peace and reality and truth and actually make money when everybody else is talking about losing money. And if they will be opportunistic, we yeah. can fi find ways when Everything else is falling apart to build something awesome. Why, why is it that you think, I mean, your, your tagline is courage, my lads. Why do so many pastors and why are so many people wanting to impress clown world? What the heck's going on, Scott? Yeah, I think if, if you look at, at what is clown world, you know, it's such a great analogy, such a great picture of, of what's going on. The way, the way that a cultural war happens is through institutions. You know, so nobody, uh, nobody uh, just starts thinking something because, oh, that's a great idea to go. It's like, no, media institutions are pumping it. Schools, academia are pumping it. Churches are pumping it. Uh, you know, celebrities are normalizing it. Uh, businesses are, are uh, sponsoring it. Government is mandating it. So, so institutions are what create culture. Now, now, institutions are run either by clowns or by kings. There's no, there's no in between. You, you know, a clown is someone who hates God and dresses up to subvert an institution. A king is someone who loves God and is going to weaponize this institution to the glory of God. 
And so this libertarian psyop, which I, I ate hook, line and sinker, says, well, we, we must run away from the institutions. We must, we must, we can't dirty ourselves by becoming a governor, becoming a media man, becoming a, a, a hotshot businessman who can, who can uh, sponsor things. Uh, and so we, we give up the institutions and it's like, well, if the Kings give it up, guess who's going to pick it up? The clowns. Mm, yeah. And now we get clown world. And so for, for a lot of, um, what a lot of people don't understand is that institutions run 80% of the people in it just as drones, right? 80% of the people are non-player characters, you know, or normies. They, they don't really care to become king or become clown. They just want to live their life. And it's like they understand institutional power, you know? So, so if a clown says, uh, we must celebrate homosexuality, we must celebrate uh, diversity, we must celebrate women getting shot on the front lines. So, okay, that's the institutional power. Then if I go outside of that, I get punished or reprisal against me. I'm just going to keep quiet. It's not that they hate God. It's not that they hate the kings, you know, because a king will come in and be like, oh, you stupid normies, you know, why do you believe this stuff? And, and try and reason with them. And it's like, guys, they only understand power. Because if only if you take over the institution, then you can dictate mm, what we celebrate yeah. and what we punish and what we reprise. And so a lot of pastors don't understand that their church is an institutional power maker. Mm -hmm. And they themselves might be normies. You know, they, they, the pastors themselves might be under a greater institution. You know, so whether that's their uh, denomination, whether that's some network, whether that's some, uh, you know, some media uh, house has, has given them a book deal or whatever. So they are now under the power of a clown who is mm. dictating to them what is acceptable, what is not acceptable. Right. And you see this with some churches where there's an absolute king who is like, okay, this church is my institution where I get to dictate. Um, and this is very ugly language. A lot of people are like, oh, you know, you're hurting my libertarianness. <laughs> But you get to dictate from, from the podium. You are literally dictating what is accepted, what is rewarded, what is punished, what is shamed, what is ignored, what is elevated, what is, what is the, the positive vision that we're giving. And so there's kings out there who are like, yeah, I'll be arrested because I'm not going to agree with the clowns. Mm -hmm. And so everyone flocks to them because they're like, this king is going to protect me. Wow, from that's good. World. You know, and so a lot of guys, a lot of times you're looking at king pastors or clown pastors, clown pastors are actively going the other way. They're actively promoting LGBT. They're actively promoting degeneracy. And then there's just normie pastors who are like, I will do whatever the most powerful person in my life says I must do. Mm, yeah, man, that's great, great analysis. It's very good. So there's a lot that we could talk about. Uh, I want to finish up, though, talking about local. The information that we have every single day is global. We know about shootings immediately whether they did or didn't happen. We know about outbreaks immediately, uh, whether they didn't or it didn't happen. We know everything global right now all the time. And I found it's very hard to train yourself to think local, where the opposite used to be the case, where you thought everything local and didn't know anything global. Even yeah. statewide, your information was limited. So the information flow to the human brain has completely changed over the last generation, just the last 30 years, 20 years from the internet. How do you get a community of people to think local. I know you're putting a lot of energy into that, thinking about several different things, but how do you get a group of people to think 
local and then do something about it. Yeah. You know, I, I read a guy by the name of Wendell Berry. He's a Kentucky agrarian uh, kind of thinker, philosopher. And he just blew my worldview, you know, two, three years back, uh, writing about how land, you know, God created the earth. And so a lot of guys are like, oh, brother, it's all going to burn. So let's, let's speed it up and burn it ourselves. And it's like, no, 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 we still have to live in it. <laughs> you know, we have to live in the flames. And so he, he writes, the, the book I recommend from him for a lot of guys, even pastorally, you're like, oh, what good is summer agrarian? This guy will, he will challenge your thoughts on place. And as pastors, you are significantly attached to your place. So it's a book called A World Ending Fire. It's a collection of his essays. I, I thoroughly uh, recommend it. But he goes on to say how land is our, it's a part of our life. You know, you look at, at the Garden of Eden. Uh, Adam wasn't just placed in some concept. He wasn't just placed in some globe. It was a garden with boundaries, with, with knowable place limits. You know, and likewise for ourselves, we look at our local town and a lot of guys are like, ah, oh, this town's not just that. It's just not very lovely. You know, maybe I should move somewhere else. Maybe I should go join some other guys. And what we invariably end up looking for is a more beautiful place with more beautiful people, with a king who is actually stewarding his place beautifully. And so we're admitting that we're not stewarding our place. Our place isn't beautiful. Our, our people aren't beautiful and I don't like it. And instead of me putting in the work, me taking charge, me becoming a king, I'm going to be a victim and try and slip into somebody else's thing that they've already created to consume. So to love your place and love your people is a kingly calling, a kingly identity. And, and for a lot of us, we would, you know, imagine we treated our local town with the same reverence we gave Washington, D.C., with the mm -hmm. same reverence we gave yeah. Israel, we gave China, whatever the, you know, the big things happening in the world are. Imagine we treated our town with that kind of attention, you know? And so a lot of guys were like, man, I wish I had a more beautiful place or I wish the church would do something or I wish the government would do. It's like, dude, you are the church. You are the government of your local area. And so if it's, if something's going to change here, it's up to our stewardship. It's up to our discipleship. Um, and I think that's a real, a huge thing of like taking literally love your neighbor as yourself of like, yes, that's fine. Send $5 to the, to the child in Africa with a fly on his lip. Yes, you know, send $5 to the Washington DC political thing. Yes, you know, but it's like, is that thing happening in your town that you can go and solve yourself? Mm -hmm. And so yeah. often we absolve ourselves from caring, from doing in our own little town because, well, I cared about it in DC or I cared about it around the world when we could actually be doing it in our own town ourselves. Yeah. So let's start in the closest place then for that to start. We're, we're talking about local in our own city, but we also have a local that's right in front of us. What does that look like in our home? Now, do you guys have children? Not yet. We're Not praying and we would appreciate your prayers. Okay. We'll do and we'll pray. So we've got three and we're thinking about building an incredible home. That's what we want is a, is a great household that our children grow up in and they want to, they want to replicate where they grow up and they think, you know, maybe there's some things we're going to do differently, but we want to grow up. We want our kids to grow up in a home like we grew up in. This was awesome. Okay. So how do you then um, encourage them from the, the tightest local possible to man, take your marriage seriously. And if you want to see, if you want to see change throughout this region, 
than love your wife well. Uh, what does that look like for, for men to take the closest proximity and then start there? Because it's always yes. easier, always easier. It's even easier to love Carbondale, Illinois, and give my energy to Carbondale. It's easier to do that than it is my home at times. So there's always this yeah. pull, there's always this pull away, out, 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 out. Yeah. So how do you train guys and think through, is it just repetition? Is it uh, to do, yeah. do that, to, to look to your wife, look to your children, look yeah. to your home and change your air filters in your house. My father-in-law did that for me this last time. And I was kicking myself. How in the world did my father-in-law know, know, know that they needed to be changed? And I didn't. And, uh, but what's that look like to even start in your home, to build an awesome home? Yeah. I think again, it's seeing rightly what are God's ways, you know? So, so when you look at libertarianism, it says to us individual, just, just, two cogs living together in a economic unit uh, and they outsource the children somewhere and, and they are off. And, you know, it's like, Oh my gosh, that is totally not God's way. You know, God's way is a man, a King who has a kingdom and, and then he has a help meet. Right. And so seeing your marriage correctly in God's eyes, you know, it's a huge uh, learning curve for my wife and I, because we, we were brought up in a liberal frame of like, Oh yeah. You know, the, the girl goes off to university, the guy, you know, you go get high paying jobs and, and all this, Oh, don't worry about having kids. You know, and it's like, Oh no, that was all wrong. Like, like marriage is a wonderful thing for a man because you're getting a help meet on your mission, you know? So your wife should be pushing, should be uh, helping your mission. You not, you are not, you know, cause so many guys are like, Oh, I, I, uh, I help my wife's mission. I help my wife's ministry. And it's like, no, no, no. Like that's a reversed order guys. We have right. to get that. Like your wife wants to help your mission. And that's where she gets confidence and security of, of coming into your mission and you going hard for something, you know, and that going hard, it doesn't have to be uh, it can be, yeah. A church ministry. It could be media. It could be an economy. It's like, yeah, I have a job eight to five and I'm building wealth. And like you said earlier, just two cars in a house. Like that's a mission. Treat mm -hmm. it like, commission treat it like you're a king doing that and then your wife can come along on board and, and help you doing that and and then with your children children are a weapon you know the bible says that that children are are arrows and so treat your children like weapons you know these these you know that's why we're praying so much you know and, and half of our our ministry if you want to call it that is encouraging guys not to do our mistake of like guys get married young have children immediately yeah, because good. you don't know what's going to happen. You know, mm -hmm. you, you, you arrive at 30 and it's like, Oh my gosh, like children are pretty important to the yeah. meaning of life, to, to, to what we're trying to build, you know? And it's like, all right, God said, children are a blessing. God said, children are weapons. So it comes to seeing it all rightly that, that we actually start to become Kings because now you know what's at your disposal. Mm -hmm. My wife is a help meet at my disposal. My children, when I have them, God willing are going to be weapons at my disposal. And then you look at, at what I own. I, you know, right now we're renting, so, so we can't even afford land yet. But it's like, okay, I'm going to treat this rental property as if it were part of my kingdom that I own. Because even though I only have one talent, a lot of guys get caught up on this. Like, yo, well, if you were Donald, then it would be different. You know, if you had 10 billion talents, it's like, no, no, no I have one talent and I'm not going to be a wicked servant. I'm going to unbury it. And I'm going to treat my one talent as if I were a man of 10 talents. Yeah. You know, so, awesome. so renting your little car, like you said, like, you know, little things of like, how can I be a positive vision to the, the, the next concentric circle, you know? And so it starts at home, then it starts local. 
Uh, and then that all comes online, you know, and I think online is very important. A lot of guys are like, oh, I don't know if we should be online. It's like, no, take this dominion, take this circle hmm. uh, and use it to give a positive vision. Uh, but, but yeah, like you said, it all starts with, with being understanding rightly that the, the home, the household is, is the, the household is not what clown world says it is. It has a very specific purpose and, and weaponization. Amen. Amen. We've been encouraged the opposite when we got married, which was delay having children. And then we've got several couples that are getting married. I'm officiating a wedding this weekend for a 19 and 20 year old who are getting married and they are crushing it. I mean, they're getting out there and they're doing well. And I told him, Hey, listen, have children, have, have them young. Don't oh wait, God. don't delay, have children. Same thing with another couple that we just got to see married in our church, 19 and 20 year old again. And it's just neat to see that kind of stuff happen. And then we were encouraging another friend of ours. We said, you know, have kids young. And the girl texted my wife and she said, we took your, your advice. And it was like a month after they got married that she got pregnant. It was like, man, way to go. That's great. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, Scott, I, I want to hear this from you. I ask everybody at the end of the show, what, um, why they love Jesus. And so Scott Tungay, tell me, why do you love Jesus? Man, you know, I'm not going to go for the trope. I'm going to, I'm going to try to give you a really specific, <laughs> you know, I was a very, uh, despairing kind of troubled inwardly troubled uh, young man you know i struggled for identity i struggled for male affirmation i struggled for uh, purpose i always knew i wanted to be a great man i always knew i wanted to do amazing things in in the world and so when i got saved it wasn't out of addiction or out of like some crazy brokenness i was just a 13 year old little boy who was like yeah this makes not even that this makes sense but but i i am drawn I'm drawn to, right. to giving my life to, to Christ. And so that has kind of morphed over the last 17 years of being a Christian to this place now where I'm like, oh my gosh, God loves me. Mm. <laughs> you know, this, like this, this insane, this, in, and not in a way of like, because that's unfortunately it. We, we give this broken gospel that the gospel is just for broken dudes. It's just for guys who are tired and dragging their knuckles. And it's like, no, no, no. The gospel is a kingdom. It's a, it's a, we have a powerful father, a powerful King. And he wants me to join him. He mm. wants me to, to sit at his right hand at, at his side and, and to, to work with him and to image him. And it's like, man, what a privilege, you know, imagine, imagine some, and again, for a lot of guys, it, imagine Donald called you up, you know, and I was like, Hey, Jared, I just want to let you know, you're my top guy. Uh, and I'd like you to start working for me and doing some projects. Uh, you know, I've got about, uh, you know, a couple things that, that are lined up that I think would be perfect for you. Uh, which one would you like to, to get involved in with me? And you'd be like, me? No way. <laughs> you know, and it, it yeah. literally is this, you know, we have such a low view of God. We have such a low view of Christ and his kingdom and this, this amazing uh, purpose in life that we are here to take dominion. That literally means the God of the universe called me up and said, I want you to be my guy. Yeah. And it's like, man, like, you know, I, I can't fathom how cool that is. Like how just appreciative, how grateful, like, wow, Lord, like you want me to be your son. You want me to work your family business. Like you're cutting me in on the inheritance. You're cutting me in on like some crazy projects that, you know, I would like that I'm good for. So man, I, you know, I'm just incredibly grateful to the Lord that, that I'm, I'm one of his top guys. That's awesome, man. That's so good. Hey guys, listening in, if you want more you can Google Scott's name, but Scott, why don't you go ahead and just tell us where we can find more. I know you're doing your YouTube videos every day or, or many days, several days a week. Yeah. Uh, tell us where we can find all things about you. 
yeah, Twitter, uh, just type in Scott Sungay or at Courage, my lads. Um, and then uh, I have a yeah live stream every day, every uh, weekday. Uh, at, uh, so it's just Scott Tungay on YouTube. And then my wife and I have a, uh, a YouTube together where we mainly trying to, trying to talk to teenagers to avoid all of our clown world upbringing. Um, so that's <laughs> Scott and Kelly. And my wife's name is K-E-L-L-I. So Scott and Kelly, and we, we do a bunch of videos there on YouTube, which uh, might be cool for, for teenagers if you've got them. Very cool. And by the way, I heard through the grapevine that Kelly may be, may be doing some posts on the Fruitful and Fearless website possibly yeah yeah jordan, she, jordan, jordan yep. lexi's podcast and their website so guys check out or have your wives check out fruitful and fearless stuff too you may see kelly stuff on there but uh yeah scott, we'll be getting there. yeah man scott scott tongue thanks so much for coming on the show jared thank you brother god bless you